Reformation, the idea of revival is that we are crying out to the Lord and we're saying, Lord, come and meet us. Come and visit us. Come and encounter us because we want to be who you created us to be. We want to go back to our original design. So all of you, what you're saying is, Lord, I want to jump on this railway track. And this train that's coming is not a train. It is God himself. If a train hits you, you're going to change. God is bigger than a train. If a train who is God hits you, then you're definitely going to change. And this is sometimes it's painful to change. It's painful to leave your old habits. It's painful to confess your sin. It is painful to tell your wife, I'm sorry. It's painful to say, Lord, I missed the point there. I was horribly wrong. And I ask forgiveness. It's painful. Growth is painful. I remember when I was in varsity in my, in my fourth year, everybody used to tell me, hey, Omar, you're going to miss varsity so much the best time of your life and I thought by myself I don't want to go back to first year because there was so much growth and growth is painful even now I don't want to go back two years because the growth that I've experienced in the last two years although it was amazing because I get to meet Jesus in a, in a greater and in a better way it's painful to say oh we missed it there's so many moments in the last two years where I missed it. So what we are asking the Lord for is, Lord, come and encounter us. Encounter us. Come and touch us. Come and change us. And then that revival that happens internally needs to start spreading into our sphere of influence. We need to see the change in the people that we love, in the businesses that we operate in. We need to see change. So it's not only about you and your great relationship with the Lord. It's about the people around you. It's about the Muslims. It's about the people in your neighborhood. It is about the people that are different than you, the people that you don't like. And God is changing you so that you have the ability, the grace, the power, the anointing to see change also in those, those people. Even in the policies of government, we can see those changes happening if we start living with this idea that God changed me and therefore God wants to use me to go labor with him to change the world. So this is my prayer and this is our prayer. Revive the individual and community. Revive me, but also revive this church, Lord, so that we can become your co-workers as you reform our world. It's from revival, reviving who we are, to reforming our sphere of influence. So I put up a visual. I made it myself. It's not Eddie's design, so it's not perfect. So I'm asking the Lord, Lord, revive me with your presence. And this should be our prayer every day. Revive me, Lord, as I'm reading the Bible. Revive me. Change me. Transform me with your presence. So that, so that I can go labor with you see reformation because I know you want to do it through me and with me God limits himself he says hey I'm going to do it through the church you are the church I'm going to do it through you in your business I'm going to do it through you and your family but I want you to trust me and I want you to come to me and I want you to change 
I want you to lay it all down on the altar. Keep nothing back. And then I need you to walk out in authority as if I send you, because that's really what happened. I send you, just like I send Jesus, I'm sending you. Jesus, John 20, he says, I'm sending you just like I was sent. And you walk into that space and you occupy that space with the authority that Jesus has given you. So the key that we're speaking about tonight, and it really has to do with how we're going to see change and really internalizing what Jesus did for us, we're going to talk about the kingship of every believer. So I'm basically going to tell you, you are a king, and because you are a king, you can rule your sphere of influence, and you can change the world. That's basically the message of tonight. And we're going to look at what this means to be, be a king. Because some of you are like, great, I know that. I am the king. People need to listen to me. My parents just need to come in alignment with God, with God, what God is saying about me. I am the king. Or you, in your relationship with your wife, hey, listen here, baby, I am the king. You need to submit. I am the ruler of my sphere of influence. That's not what we're talking about. Just look at what Jesus did. He was the king, and he still was the king when he came to earth. When he was on the cross, he was still the king. When he went down to Hades to get the keys, the authority of life that was given to the devil by Adam and Eve, he was still the king. And then he got raised up and he was still the king. I love what Bill Johnson says. He says, when we serve, we must serve as a king. So you don't think of yourself, oh, I'm so worthless. I'm not a servant. I'm just going to do this for the rest of my life. No, you serve from the place of authority. I can do this because I know my identity is in Jesus Christ. And I'm, I'm supposed to rule through serving. But then when you get to the place, the platform that God will give to everyone that serves, because that's what Jesus promised, that's his promise in his word. If you want to become great, you must become a servant. If you get to that platform of being the king, of people acknowledging, wow, there is a leadership gift on your life, you have an anointing, you have influence, then you still need to rule as a servant. So important that we get that right. So let's start at Genesis 1, it should say 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule, dot, dot, dot. They may rule. First assignment given to mankind is to rule. And we think we are not, we don't have any authority. You have authority. It's just been stolen by the devil. You must get it back in Jesus Christ. This is your assignment. If you carry the image of God, then you're in the likeness of God, then you have the ability to rule. If you're feeling overwhelmed by your circumstances, you're feeling like your circumstances, your past, your identity, your nose, your mom's ruling your life, you're not stepping into the fullness of who you are as a human being, creating the likeness of God. You're supposed to rule. 
Exodus 19 verse 6, God calls Moses up onto the mountain and almost as a disclaimer before he gives them the rules, he says, hey Moses, listen here, this is not my first choice. I actually don't want to rule with rules. I want to rule through you. It says this, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. It sounds so new covenant, but this is already in the old covenant, in Exodus, before the law, before the rules. What God's saying is saying, listen here, I want to call you up into this place of authority, my kingdom. Yeah, we know what's happening in the world, but you are called into my kingdom. And as part of my kingdom, as you walk, as you advance, you are extending my kingdom. And all these other nations with all their weaponry and, and their power and their authority, they won't be able to stand because I've called you to be a kingdom of priests. What does that mean? To be a kingdom of priests is that we are called to minister to God, to be with Him all the time. It was never His idea only for one guy once a year to go into the most holy place Make atonement for the sins of the nation, then come out, everybody's happy, whoa, great, we can go another year, and then it happens again. No, his idea was always for us to be with him. To be a priest that, be, that will be in his presence, but also be part of his kingdom where we rule. If you represent the kingdom of God, you are busy ruling. And then Jesus comes. He is the king. And then Paul writes about Jesus. He says, Romans 5, 17, For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace? Say, abundant provision of grace. So, Grace, it's a free gift. Abundant provision of a free gift. We all love free gifts. The picture that I have of this is you arriving at your grandma's house for the same holiday, and there's a Christmas tree. I know some of you don't like Christmas trees, but just go, come with me. I also don't think it's the most beautiful thing ever. So there is a present with your name on it. And you're like, wow, amazing. So this is what we did. I don't know how you did it. So we're like, wow, Alma. So I take the present, I shake it, I try and figure out what it is. And then I, then I go and brag with my cousin saying, and my brother and my sister, hey, listen here, mine is bigger than yours. It was all about the size. So, what God's saying, listen here, there's a present with your name on, and you need to claim that. It's not a reward. It's not a reward. It's a gift. Do I deserve the present that I receive on my birthday? No. I don't deserve it. It's a gift. And then Paul continues, and he says exactly that. And of the gift of righteousness... 
It's a gift. To be in right standing with the Lord, it's a gift. It's not something that you work towards and at the end, just as you're lying there on your deathbed, you're like, God, thank you for righteousness. I've lived this holy life and therefore you said to me, well done, now you are righteous. No, you receive it the moment that you are saved. Because your spirit man gets renewed by the Spirit of God, and therefore you are completely saved. It means you are in right standing with God. It is a legal term, and it's spoken over you. You are righteous, in right standing with God. So I think of it in this way. So I'm fighting with my wife, so we're definitely not in right standing. If you had those experiences. You're fighting with somebody and you experience, I'm not in right standing with him or her now. And then God comes and he says, hey, Amor, you're now in right standing with your wife. And she acknowledges it and I acknowledge it and we're like, great. And all the distance between you and, and your wife gets removed by this legal declaration saying, hey, you're in right standing now with your wife. You're in right standing. It speaks of relationship being restored. It's so much more than just, hey, I'm forgiven. And it says, speaking of those people who have received the abundant provision of grace, and the gift of righteousness. How will they live? They will reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. It talks about the restoration of our original purpose. That assignment given of rulership is now in Jesus, given back to us, but now it's given back to us with a grace to actually live it out. Under the law, under sin, we cannot rule. Because we will always be under the devil's authority. Because we are in his domain. But when we get saved, we get, we get saved. We get taken from that place of evil submission to who the devil is. And from that place, we then get plugged into the kingdom of God and now we're under the authority of the king and we've received this free gift. And therefore, we can reign in life. Not in the life to come, in this life. On your own? No. With Jesus Christ. Without Jesus, you cannot do this. In Jesus, you can reign. You are a king with Jesus. You're not the king but you are aching. In other words, you have authority. Revelation 5 is 9b to 10. And some people don't like using this to, to share about our kingship and the fact that we can rule. But I, th I think it just reiterates what Paul is saying. Because they would say Revelation is actually about the the day when Jesus comes back and then, yes, then we'll receive the full, uh, full authority in Jesus. 
but I believe it speaks of where we are now and what we can receive already now. So it says, you have redeemed us to God, speaking about the Lamb of God, by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. So that is where we're going. The full reign of Jesus will only, yes, be established when he comes back the second time. But this is already a prophetic picture that we can step into now where we understand that God has called us for impact in this life. Amen. Some of us are just so overwhelmed by our thought life, what happened to us in the past, what's currently happening, your bank account, your status, relationship status, that you give up. You give up what God has called you to do. You give up this assignment to rule. So let's look at what David said. So Psalm 101 is a psalm that David wrote. and It was basically a song about righteous ruling. So most of the nation back then, they were illiterate. So you had to communicate values to people through song. So David wrote a song and what it means to be a king. What are the value system of a king? So he starts in verse 1. He says, I will sing of steadfast love and justice. To you, O Lord, I will make music. I will ponder the way that is blameless. When will you come to me? I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. Whoever slanders his neighbors secretly, I will destroy Whoever has a haughty look and an arrogant heart, I will not endure. I will look with favor on the faithful in the land, they, that they may dwell with me. He who walks in the way that is blameless shall minister to me. No one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house. No one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes. Morning by morning, I will destroy all the wicked in the land, cutting off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. Imagine that is kind of the manifesto of our political leaders. I think it's pretty good. Hey, keep me accountable. Listen here, we're going to start singing these songs in South Africa. Keep me accountable to these words. The value system of a righteous ruler. So let's, let's break it down. How can we be a righteous ruler within our sphere of influence? Because this is what we're talking about. God has changed you, and now God has called you to rule and to reign in your sphere of influence from a godly point of view with God's grace and with His justice and with His loving kindness. So how do you do it? Number one, make music, worship for justice and love. So practical. Worship is key. David, he was the best king. Jesus refers to himself 
as the son of David. Imagine God saying, my son is the son of David. Wow, what a statement for who David was. Was he perfect? Far from it. But David, he was a worshiper. David was a worshiper. He was a lover of God. So worship is a key part to ruling and reigning. Because what are you doing? You're submitting yourself. You say, hey, I'm going to worship God. I'm not going to worship my platform. I'm not going to worship this. I'm going to worship Jesus. And he's specifically going to worship Jesus and God for love and for justice. Number two, pursue blameless ways and integrity of heart. Tell the Lord, Lord, I want to be blameless. Nobody should be able to say anything about me that's not godly. Look at the fruit of the Spirit. If, you don't, if, you're, not, if you're impatient, get rid of your impatience. If there are anger outbursts every now and then, get rid of your anger outbursts. If you swear every now and then, if you get drunk every now and then, just get rid of it. It's not supposed to happen in the life of a ruler. Be blameless. If you're lying in your tax returns, if, you, if you're dabbling with things that are not of the Lord, if, you, if you're watching pornography, or maybe not pornography, just girls in bikinis or whatever, just get rid of it. Because it's going to mess up your assignment to rule. You're not going to be blameless. And then pursue integrity. Is what you are saying also what you are doing? We often get people that come to church and they're like, Hey, now my whole life belongs to Jesus. And that's great, by the way. You should make those commitments. And then we also, hey, do you want to come and serve early on a Sunday evening? No! Everything belongs to Jesus except for when I do something that I don't like. Are you, are you practicing what you're preaching or are you preaching what you practice? We should be able to do both. Number four, sorry, three, keep your priorities right and don't go after worthless pursuits. Verse three, David says, I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. So sometimes there are things in our lives that are just distractions. They are worthless. I had the privilege of doing a, I did a funeral a couple of weeks ago, and I love good Christian funerals, because it's, everybody cries, I also cry, and there's always, so the last one was about a grandmother that loved Jesus, there was a video of her, gray hair, dancing like wildly with a, a one grandson, there's a story of, his, of the grandson that skipped class just to go and visit his grandma while she was dying because he loved her so much, like a matriarch, somebody that impacted the whole of that family 
and also the community. Everybody was wearing colorful dresses. It was just a blessing to be there. And the reason why I love these kind of funerals is because it reminds me of what is really important. So those things that you're after, that's really the desires of your heart, are those things going to matter when you're about to die or not? Even, even atheists, agnostics, step into this truth. Steve Jobs, he's not a Christian, he said, Every morning he would wake up, look himself in the mirror and say, if this was my last day, would I still do what I'm about to do this day? If not, I need to change the thing that I'm doing this specific day. Four, keep perverse hearts. So people with perverse hearts, slanderers, in other words, people that gossip a lot, Arrogance, people that are full of pride, liars, and corruption out of your inner circle. You're always going to have to mingle with these people. So some people are so, so Christian and so holy, they don't want to get their hands dirty and invest in people. But that is relationship. That is evangelism. You need to go and meet people where they're at, and you need to bring them into the kingdom of God. You can only do that through relationship, and that is messy. But when God has called you to rule, when He has called you to do something for Him, the people that's in your inner circle cannot display any of these characteristics. And you need to test them. Hey, I want to go into business with you. Listen here, you are gossiping a lot, a lot about that other business that you were involved with. Why are you doing that? The way that you speak about other people reveals something about who you are, and I don't like that. I'm not so sure. Can you change that? Hey, you're taking too many shortcuts in the way that you're doing our books. Can you change that, please? Because God's not going to bless that. And we need to have these non-negotiable rules in these things that we are pursuing. Because God cannot bless deceit. He cannot bless fraud. He cannot bless gossip. He cannot bless people that have perverted hearts. He cannot. You're going to hurt yourself. And so many times... I've had to deal with people that would come in here and say, Hey, Amor, I'm, I'm so hurt. Got into a business relationship with this person. He said he's a Christian. There's 50,000 scriptures on his fridge. Obviously, he's a Christian. Two years down the line, he stole 2.5 million from me. Amor, help me. I don't want to work with Christians anymore. But you need to check. Who are these people? People say they're Christian doesn't necessarily mean that they're Christian. All of us know that. So that's why we really labor to lift the standard of Christianity within this church. Not to condemn people, but by the grace of God, you can live on a higher level of Christianity. You don't have to compromise. You don't have to get drunk 
once a month and think, well, it's fine. It was only once a month. You don't have to watch pornography. You don't have to be the one who's gossiping about everybody. You don't have to be that person. And we expect this of our leaders. We hate corruption in government, but where is the corruption in your heart, in your activity? There we go, Keith. Good place to say amen. And then number five. Thank you, Keith. Then number five. Reward faithfulness, integrity, and give them your ear. So, so David's saying, hey, then I will scan, I will survey the land, and I will look for the faithful ones. Look for the ones with integrity, and then I will call them closer. They will be in my inner circle. And I will allow them to minister to, to me. I will allow them to give advice, input. Sometimes we just after the person with a skill set, and that is so important. Work on your skill set, but you forget that God looks at faithfulness. Yes, and also fruitfulness. But faithfulness is so important from God's perspective. And I I believe most of you are probably called to do things with God. To start a business, to start an NGO, to do things in a team, just a maybe a loosely connected network. Ask the Lord for these things in the people that you are working with. If they're not faithful, you cannot allow for them in your inner circle. Luke and I often have these discussions. Hey, that person is a small group facilitator, but they struggle to attend church regularly. I I am a little nervous here. I don't know if I can trust our precious people to that person. There's no faithfulness. Reward faithfulness in the people around you. And give them your ear. So allow for them to minister to you. And we need to be clever. We need to be discerning in this day and age. I probably get a thousand and one opinions on how to run this church. It feels like every week. And in a way, I love it. Because I'm also like that. They've now included me in, in our apostolic leadership team for for shofar and the reason why Heinrich said he included me is because he wants me to give ideas I'm like are you sure you want all my ideas (laughs) and I, I love that but you know what the people's ideas that I really value are the people with faithfulness fruitfulness integrity and then, yes, every now and then God speaks through a donkey, and you need to be open to that. And you're like, well, that is a donkey. I don't like what I see in terms of your character, but that is a word from Jesus. But if you're going to walk with people constantly, only allow those faithful, fruitful, integrity people in your inner circle. Number six. Treat evildoers with justice. David said, it is, he said it a little different. I'm putting it softly. 
He says, morning by morning, I will destroy all the wicked in the land, cutting off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. And when he says destroy, he's not saying he's going to verbally destroy them. He's literally going to kill them. So now we live in the new covenant. So we need to apply that to our context. And that means you need to be hard on people that are evil and are doing evil things. You need to draw the line. Say, listen here. If you as if you as so much put your little pinky over that thing, you're gonna experience the wrath of Armour Kennedy because we are leading something and this is holy and we're gonna have impact. So if you put your little toe there over that line, I'm gonna come and I'm gonna try and get into your life to not destroy you, but to destroy the sinful nature in you. I think Christians are way too nice. We need to have limits. Hey, listen here. This is not how we do it. Every, especially young people who come to me, hey, almost so I was at this wedding again three weeks ago. There's this guy in his church, he was drunk again. And then like, hey, half of it happened. No, he was six weeks ago, it was another wedding. It was the decker, he was drunk again. I'm like, hey, what did you do? Did you speak to them? To him? No, it didn't. We morning by morning, we need to go, listen here, God, we're gonna put down boundaries of what holiness looks like. And we're going to do it with love. I'm going to tell you, listen here, you cannot do this any longer. Because we have high standards. We are representing not a little king, but we are representing the king of all kings. Luke said, I, I, I can't remember that I did this, but he came here and he didn't do something that I asked of him to do. And I, he was about to preach when we were still in the other, other building. And I said to him, because you didn't do what I asked you to do, you're not going to preach tonight. And he took it like a man, so he's still here. And by the way, he was supposed to preach tonight, and then he he uh, he chose my wife's side in the fight. Again, then lastly, yeah. Luke is afraid of my wife. And, and my, wife's, my wife's good with morning by morning, she destroys evildoers. People say that, that love and fear can't live together. It, it is. It can. It can. I love my wife. So then the last one, and it's, it comes from verse 2. It's almost in the middle. You can so easily miss what David's saying here. He's saying this should be the desire of a leader's heart. Oh, when will you come to me? Oh, when will you come to me? So he's, he's saying, Lord, all these things I must get right. But when will you come to me? When will you bless me with your presence? I need your presence. I need your presence. Because without your presence, I cannot be a king. I cannot rule.